Oh, good morning. It is uh, good uh, to be with you today and to be together. Um, how many of you ever had a, um, uh, a public speaking class, either in high school or college? Yeah, how many of you uh, were scared to death? <laughs> I remember um, those days um, not with um, any sort of fondness <laughs> to get in front of my peers and, and to give a speech. But uh, that did not compare at all uh, to when um, early in my ministry, over 20 years ago, um, I had to do my first wedding. And I remember um, thinking about um, this day, getting prepared for that day. I had to go and buy a suit because I didn't have one. And thinking about the suit and the tie and making sure everything is uh, ready to go, it's like, okay, do I wear the jacket like when I get in the car? Or to like take it off and like put it on when I get there. You know, you, you get out and of course you're nervous. So what do you have to do? You have to go to the bathroom. So that happened. And, you know, then you're wondering like the rest of the day. It's like, did I, did I zip my fly? Yes. <laughs> and you're just wondering and wondering is the, the worry and the fear just kind of continues to grow. And and then, you know, they, they put the flower on and you're afraid you're going to, you know, smash the, the flower. And, and all of these um, fears um, come in as you're getting ready to, to be on stage. Because it's not about um, the minister on that day. You really don't want to screw it up uh, for the people who are getting married. Um, that would just be awful. <laughs> um, incredibly awful. It's one of my greatest fears that I'll get up there and just forget or I'll say the wrong name. That would be so bad. <laughs> So bad. And that day was no different. Um, just scared um, out of my mind to, to get up and to, to talk and, and to, to marry um, David and Sarah just, you know, over 20 years ago. But that was nothing, um, honestly, compared to when um, I had to do my first funeral. And thinking about um, that moment and that day and... Um, just the, the nervousness that comes in, the fear of messing things up, saying the wrong thing, doing something in the wrong order. And I remember talking to a friend of mine as I was getting prepared for this because he was um, young and in ministry too. And he shared with me um, something that was shared with him. And um, it stuck with me to this day and advice that I still um, oftentimes give to those that are I'm going to be doing this for the first time. He was told that today, um, people need a message um, from God. They don't need to hear from you. They need a message from God, and you are his messenger. And then the pastor told him, he said, now, now get up there and speak with confidence because God has chosen you for this moment. And even today, I mean, it gives me goosebumps to, to hear those words and to think about those moments. It's not about you. <laughs> People need to hear from God. He has chosen you today to be his messenger. So get up there with confidence and speak. And today as we um, get into Daniel chapter 5, our circumstances probably aren't um, incredibly um, different um, for Daniel. We find ourselves um, hearing the same message, I think, in Daniel chapter 5. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to review a few quick things of where we've been so far um, in our brave study of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, uh, we see um, the brightest and the youngest of Israel, including Daniel, uh, being taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we see that Daniel, uh, when confronted with taking a stand for his uh, beliefs, 
uh, we see him courageously um, trusting in his great God. In Daniel 2, we see Daniel um, being gifted by God to interpret um, King um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, um, thus demonstrating that God's kingdom is superior to his. In Daniel 3, the old story most of us know of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, courageously facing the fiery furnace as God rescues them through it um, and shows his greatness um, there in those moments. And then in Daniel 4, uh, last week, uh, Daniel is called on again to interpret um, the king's dream. And in the interpretation, um, he informs um, the king of God's coming judgment because he refuses uh, to worship and to glorify him. In the end of Daniel chapter 4, we see that the king is greatly humbled as he's turned into the likes of an animal. Um, but yet, um, in the end, after that, he eventually praises and worships the God of Daniel, and his sanity is restored. In Daniel 4.37, it says, Now I am Nebuchadnezzar. Praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So at the end of chapter 4, we still see Nebuchadnezzar as king. And as we get into chapter 5, uh, we see that 23 years, approximately 23 years, um, have gone by. So if you're up to time, into timelines, about 605 B.C. is when Daniel begins in Daniel chapter 1. At the end of chapter 4, we're in the year 562 B.C., um, Nebuchadnezzar dies. At 562, um, Merodach uh, reigns. Um, two years later, he's killed. And by the way, this is all between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, two years later in 560, um, Merodach's brother-in-law uh, reigns. And after a big defeat, he either just died uh, or um, he was assassinated. And his son, uh, Labashi Marduk, takes over. 556, Marduk uh, dies in a coup d'etat. In 566, the military appoints Nabonidus as king. And sometime um, during his reign, he appoints his son, um, Belshazzar, as second in command in Babylon. So in 539 is where we find Daniel chapter 5. Again, 23 years later after chapter 4 ended. And approximately 66 years after the events of Daniel chapter 1. So from Nebuchadnezzar's time to Belshazzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's experience, as well as Daniel and his God's power, they were forgotten. Daniel's God was recognized in chapter 4, but as these 23 years had gone by, people aren't remembering Daniel's God or his power. In fact, they've likely even forgotten Daniel's name. So as we get ready to dive into chapter 5, I think that God... I wants us to know that no matter the circumstance, no matter the circumstance, God's in charge. I think he wants us to feel confident because God is ruler over all. And I think he wants us to seek righteousness and remove evil from our lives because God weighs it all in a balance. So let's pray this morning. God, today, uh, we are grateful uh, to be in your presence. We're grateful to be called your children. We're grateful uh, for the truths of Scripture um, that guide us, um, challenge us, transform us. 
God, we're grateful um, that you meet with us today. So God, we ask that uh, you would do that today, that you would teach us and change us. God, help us to see uh, where uh, we are um, like an arrogant king. God, help us to see uh, where we are like Daniel. God, may we um, better, after we leave today, may we better be like your people for all eternity. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you got your Bibles this morning, turn to Daniel chapter 5. Um, our plan is to kind of just walk through section by section and uh, look at them and see what exactly um, God is doing. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, and uh, we're going to walk our way through it. In Daniel 5, 1, it says, King um, Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So as we think about this moment and we begin to envision um, this great party that's happening, I think one of two things is likely true about this feast. Uh, because it wasn't really customary for women um, to be present at these type of gatherings, nor was it customary for the concubines to be at them either. Um, it likely um, included most all of his political or his military advisors. This also wasn't, wasn't normal, um, that that was happening in this kind of way. And it certainly wasn't customary to use others' uh, religious artifacts um, in your celebration and in your partying. When you conquer a country in those days, it was typical and it was customary that you would also take all of their religious artifacts and you would place them in your own temples um, at the feet of your own gods as a way to demonstrate that your God is greater than their God. But it wasn't uh, customary to drink from them, to use them. Um, it was considered um, sacrilegious. Um, it was over the top. It was extra what was happening so either um, Belshazzar was completely consumed with himself and he didn't care. Um, he didn't care at all to respect anyone, their ways or their customs. Um, he just wanted to have um, a drunken orgy. Or uh, Belshazzar knew that the Persians were closing in on his city and would overtake them soon, overtake him soon. So he threw this party as a last chance um, to live the good life, all the while in fear of what was to come. I think likely both of these things are probably true. That he was so full of himself, he figured he could do whatever he wanted. He could throw whatever kind of party he wanted. And as we know much of history in this time and this day, <coughs> war was going on all around them. People were seeking to build their kingdoms, to conquer other territories, um, to put people under their rule. And there was this great war that had been happening um, for years. Um, over past um, kings as well, um, particularly uh, with Persia. And I think, as I read and study it, that uh, he probably knew that they were closing in on his city. 
So he throws this party and he dishonors um, God and dishonors um, all of the items um, that were brought from the temple in Jerusalem. He spits in his face. Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite of the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, and then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Can you imagine that moment? I mean, think of your Christmas party, your New Year's Eve party, whenever the last time you were having a drunken party. <laughs> Hopefully none of those. <laughs> but, but think of this moment. They're, they're having this great party. A thousand or more people are there. And the wine is flowing. Um, they're likely um, fairly toasted <laughs> at this moment. And all of a sudden, you see these fingers writing on the wall. You're probably thinking, what's in the wine? <laughs> Did I have too much? And it wasn't like there was um, a human being standing there with an arm and a hand and then the fingers writing on the wall. It wasn't as though there was an arm there. It wasn't even said there was a hand there. It was just the fingers of the hand writing on the wall. Imagine um, that moment. And I think that you can quickly understand that um, it did cause fear in him. He began uh, to worry. It says that his color changed, likely um, to ghostly white. <laughs> it says that his knees became weak and knocked together. I think much like um, that moment when I was doing that first wedding. <laughs> Scared to death. I kind of picture this also, you know, that time, and, and maybe you can't do this because you're, you're, you're perfect, but maybe you've been speeding trying to get home uh, quickly, um, or it's a, it's a cool summer night, the windows are down, the radio's um, blaring, and you're going down the freeway or a backcountry road, and um, everything is great, and all of a sudden you see in your rearview mirror, what do you see? you see flashing red and blue lights. Anybody been there? Think of that moment. And I don't know about you, but in that moment for me, this like warm sensation just comes over me, right? And it's like, oh no. And you don't, your mind begins to think of all of the excuses. Like, ah, oh, I, didn't, I didn't realize that the speed limit changed. Um, not that you would lie. Um, or you, you think, oh, I, I was only going 35, officer. <laughs> Um, all the while knowing you were going 70. <laughs> Just that moment uh, of seeing those, those flashing uh, red and blue lights and you realize that you're in trouble. Your heart sinks. Um, your breath is gone. And you know that um, something bad is about to happen. I kind of picture it like that, um, that this is the kind of fear that he might have um, been experiencing this moment as the the fingers of the hand begin to write on the wall. And they're writing in such a way, in such a place, that it's likely um, the most prominent place in the room. It says that it's opposite the lampstand, where the light would shine so that everyone would see it. It goes on in um, Daniel 5 or 7. It says, The king called loudly, 
to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. He was greatly alarmed. And his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods... In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king Belteshazzar now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So here in this moment, wine's flowing, people are drinking, party is happening, fingers show up, start writing things on the wall that he can't um, interpret, doesn't know exactly what is being said. Fear um, begins um, to come in, so what in the world does he do? So he calls the best and the smartest people to come into the room to tell him, what it means. And what's he promise them? Royalty. I will give you a purple robe. I will give you um, a chain of gold, which signified authority. I will make you third in command. Because he was second in command, his father was um, in a different region at that time. I will make you third in command behind my father and myself. What happens? They don't know what it says. They can't interpret it. And it says, now the king is greatly alarmed. Not just alarmed, but he is greatly alarmed. And all those uh, who were with him are now, I think, begin noticing that something is really wrong. So it's not just that um, his knees began to shake. Not just that he's alarmed. He's now greatly alarmed. Um, I think it's more than that moment of seeing the flashing blue lights. Um, I think now uh, we're talking about a horror show type of fear. We've all watched horror movies. Um, some of us won't admit it, but we have. Um, I remember um, as a kid, um, we would sneak to the basement. Uh, my family had HBO uh, when we were kids, and uh, we weren't allowed to watch it, except for Fraggle Rock, which... I think that's pretty scary. <laughs> anyway, if you don't know what Fraggle Rock is, just, just avoid it. It'll, it'll ruin you. So we, we snuck downstairs. Um, Mom and Dad went to bed, and uh, we watched um, Children of the Corn. Yeah, it was, it was a bad idea. I think I was like seven. <laughs> and has anybody seen this movie? All right, if you haven't, especially if you're young, don't. It's... <laughs> It'll mess you up in cornfields for the rest of your life. Um, because we would go out on the weekend where we camped, and we would play um, hide-and-seek in cornfields. 
after watching Children of the Corn. <laughs> horrible, horrible idea. But you can, you can imagine those moments um, that are worse than seeing the, the flashing red and blue lights. They're, they're worse than that. Something of a horror show where this fear overtakes you. Not only did he not know what it was saying, not only did he see this, these fingers writing on the wall, now the best and the brightest, his people that he counts on to interpret these kinds of things, they don't even know what it says. And now I mean, he is greatly alarmed. Somehow the queen, unlikely the queen mother, uh, who was probably either his mom or his grandmother, um, heard of what was going on. And she came in to say, hey, this guy, uh, he helped um, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he can help. She doesn't even seem to remember his name. And remember, 23 years had gone by um, since Nebuchadnezzar had died. But what does she know about him? She says that there's something almost not human, something godly um, about this man. He brings light and understanding and wisdom and he can solve any riddle, puzzle, or dream that you might have. There's this guy. He helped King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe, just maybe, he can help you. Verse 13. It says, And then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the Spirit of the God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So as Daniel comes in um, before him, and he's probably about 90 years old or so um, at this point, Daniel has he's been, he's been around the block. He's seen much. And here in this moment, um, he gets called before the king in the middle of this party. <laughs> And he's made this offer. You interpret what's written on the wall there, and I'll make you the third in command. Um, Daniel doesn't seem um, to care. Uh, verse 17. It says, And then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys 
He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules, that he rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you had lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. So as Daniel responds to him, and says, let your gifts be for yourself and give those rewards to someone else. We have to ask the question, why, why does the king make this offer? I mean, it's a significant offer to read something on the wall, isn't it? If you can read that, if you can interpret that, I'm going to make you next in line, the most powerful here after me <laughs> of all of this kingdom. Is it that he knows his end is near? <laughs> So giving away royalty doesn't really matter? Possibly. Um, it might be. Um, he was just so arrogant um, that he would assume that others would want royalty because that's what he would want. I'm going to give this reward the same thing that I would want to other people because they'll want it too. Daniel doesn't care. So why does he refuse it? Well, Daniel's in no need of it. He doesn't need royalty. He doesn't need authority in this kingdom. Um, he seems to have no interest. He already knows by the end of the night that only one of them is going to be alive. He already knows. <laughs> He's seen the wall. He knows the interpretation. So to have royalty when that kingdom is about to go away <laughs> means nothing. So what does Daniel do? He gives the king a brief history lesson about Nebuchadnezzar's life. What does he want him to see? That no king or earthly ruler is above God. None. No matter how high he rises, what office he fills, how much money or fame he attains, that God um, is greater. God is greater. All, including Nebuchadnezzar, are subject to him. As we think about um, not just this moment that's happening here in Babylon, um, early um, in our time, we can think about all of history, can't we? <laughs> that there is no kingdom that has been that isn't gone. None. Every kingdom, every king, they've all fallen. Every king, um, every emperor, um, every president either has or will die. Every one of them. They're all temporary. You know, we see Babylon here. Later we see Rome. Generations to come. We see dynasty after dynasty. That might even start off great. But in the end, um, they come to ruins quickly. I think for us as Americans, I think we oftentimes have assumed that the U.S. is different. That will somehow last forever because we've done it right. Uh, 
I think one day our nation too, like every other nation before us, will end. It will end. We can put this into the church. Our modern day experience is probably enough just to see this one. That there are leaders, there are pastors uh, that oftentimes think that they're exempt from this. We see things like arrogance and pride setting in. We see where ministries and churches become about personalities. And we see what seems like it'll never end. What seems like it is the new way that we should all do things. We see God um, providing humility and bringing those things to an end. We see God at some point when his people are mistreated. He says enough. And he removes um, that person um, from power. He removes from them just like he did Nebuchadnezzar, just as he is about to do with Belshazzar. He removes from them their authority. And for us as a church here at New Life, we're not exempt from this either. All of us, including myself and all of um, our elders, we're not exempt. We can all be filled with arrogance and pride. It can become about us. We can begin to think that our church is better than every other church, or at least most churches. We can begin to think that um, our leadership is better because of the way we do things. And it's not. We're only here because of God. He is the one. He alone is the one who puts people in places of authority and leadership. It is Him. And Daniel, um, very precisely, is letting um, Belshazzar know this. That it's God who will place a king and remove a king when he sees fit. Only God can take a successful king from a great ruler like Nebuchadnezzar to living and behaving like an animal in a day. And then later in his grace, he can restore him in a moment when he properly is understood and surrendered to. Nebuchadnezzar both understood what it meant um, to listen and to not listen to godly counsel. He did both, as we can see in the previous chapters. Then it says, but you, Belshazzar, you knew all of this. You knew all of this. You knew the history, but still you idolized yourself as a god. You chose to mock the true God by desecrating these items from the temple. And you gave glory to your fake gods instead. Proverbs 1, as it talks about heeding godly wisdom, in verse 24 it says, Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all of my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated Knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 
would have none of my counsel and despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. There clearly is an end to God's patience where judgment will come when rulers and kings that God puts in place refuse to acknowledge him, when they refuse um, to accept godly counsel. God will end them. And God, too, is, is sovereign over Belshazzar's life, Belshazzar's life. It says, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. This judgment, if he is listening, it is clear. It is clear goes on in verse 24. It says, Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Meany, meany, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. These are the things that were written on the wall. These words, meany, meany, tekel, parson. Meany, God, he has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Meaning, this idea, it means numbered. There's more that might go into it with some play on words that has to do with um, coins and the ideas of measurements that were in those days, but the clear message that the days of Belshazzar's reign, they are numbered. Tekel means weighed. He has been weighed and found to be short in God's judgment. Your days are numbered. You've been weighed and found short. Parson means divided. Belshazzar's kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Your days are numbered. You've been weighed and found wanting. And your kingdom is going to be divided. Imagine if you were Belshazzar and you're hearing this. Again, big party. Whether it was he was just super arrogant and he wanted to uh, throw a big party and, and show himself off and defy um, the people of which were under his um, control. Whether it was that he knew that the, the Persians were coming in on his kingdom. Either way, we know he's super arrogant and thinks he's all that. Here we find out, according to the message written by the fingers of the hand on the wall that everyone can see, he's been found wanting. His days are numbered, and this great kingdom of which they've been building for decades, it's about to be divided. It's over. You would think, for most people, that might cause you to sit back in your seat a little bit, to maybe, just maybe, begin to wonder, huh, maybe there's something to that. These fingers show up and write on the wall, <laughs> This message that only one guy in my kingdom can interpret, and he's pretty well known for knowing how to do these things, and he tells me that my kingdom's coming to an end. Huh. 
But he doesn't seem to, at least in the text that we have. Um, in verse 29, it says, Then on Belshazzar he gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Nope. We're going to make him the third. I'm going to do what I said. He's the third in the kingdom. He's the third most powerful person. Again, Daniel had already told him, I don't, I don't really want your reward. I don't really care about it. You can keep it or give it to other people. But here, there doesn't seem to be, um, as Nebuchadnezzar had, any sort of humbling. Um, he goes on with just his rule. And in verse 30, it says, That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Big party, desecrating other people's religious items of worship. Um, all of the most important people are there. <laughs> Gets this message that night, he's gone. And I think for us, um, I don't know about you, maybe it's just for me, oftentimes I, I, don't, I don't think about um, the brevity of life. That in a moment, um, it can be gone. And um, I think the more and more as I um, get older, the more and more as I um, see and experience different things, um, I see that any of our lives could end in just a moment. Tragedy happens um, all the time. Fatal car accidents happen all the time. Earthquakes happen all the time. Um, our lives are brief and can be taken in a moment. And for us, it's um, learning to hear um, hear God's Word, to hear the warnings that come to us. There's an example in the New Testament. Uh, in Paul's day, in Acts 12, it said, On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon his throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Then it says, but the word of God increased and was multiplied. Friends, today I think that God wants us to consider two things. One, in our leadership or our areas of influence. Are we worshiping and trusting the King of Kings or in our own abilities? Do we think of ourselves higher than we ought to? I don't think that is just uh, for people that we view as leaders out there. I think we all have places of influence. Do we think of ourselves higher than we should? And the second thing, do we realize that God um, has appointed us at times to be his messenger? And um, because he has appointed us as his messenger, 
do we speak his words with courage? I think to do this well, to be his messenger and to speak with courage, to speak bravely, I think we have um, to begin more, not even begin, but more and more um, detach ourselves from our own political ideologies. We have to more and more detach ourselves from our human philosophies. We have to trust in God alone. In God alone for our life, in God alone to give us the words that he would have us to use. Not because someone else said we should, or a book said we should, but because he said we should. Here's what Isaiah said to the children of Israel in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out skillful craftsmen to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? 
Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Why can we be courageous? Because our God is great. He is greater than kings. He is greater than us. He is greater than his creation. Our God is great. So when God calls us to be his messenger... Get up and speak, because he is great. Let's pray this morning. God, we are grateful for your word that challenges us in all ways, that reminds us of your greatness and your goodness. God, we're grateful for the ways um, that you are patient with us. We're grateful, too, that there is an end to your patience God, that you are the judge and ruler over all. We're grateful for the ways that um, you offer grace and mercy to us. And God, as we face whatever it is that we're going to face this week, God, may you remove our attachments to our human ideas and philosophies. God, may our eyes um, be cast on you. And God, may we speak your words and your words alone. God, we trust um, that you have much for us this week. We're grateful for your grace, and we're grateful for Jesus. And we ask for his will in our lives and the lives of those that we love. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.